Well, as we get into Esther chapter 2, we're going to see God's queen is crowned. We're going to see how God providentially raises Esther to leadership for such a time as this. And you know, God's got you where he's got you for a reason. He is a sovereign and providential God. And we're going to watch him move in Esther 2 today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now, here's Pastor Michael. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, which is a verse for this Sunday, says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And here's what we know. We know that Ahasuerus was an immoral man. In fact, when he returned from these battles, Herodotus describes the king's life after his military defeats as one of sensual overindulgence. He was spending suspicious time with some of the wives of his officers. This naturally naturally produced anger and resentment in them. This king, who Esther rises to the throne, was assassinated in his bedroom about 14 years after these events in 465 B.C., And I just put in my notes, your sin will always find you out. And a man who puts so much emphasis on the bedroom, and you're going to see how this unfolds in a moment, he was sexually overindulgent to say the least. In fact, he probably is singularly responsible for ruining the lives of hundreds and hundreds of women. And we'll talk about how this worked in a moment. It came back to bite him. And a couple of his own subjects assassinated him in the very place where perhaps he, you know, tried to find pleasure and and escape or whatever it may be. And I don't have to tell you that that's where our society is right now. An overemphasis on sex, uh, a redefinition in many cases of it, what God created to be beautiful and right in its proper context, has been muddied. And so, this is the world into which Esther is thrust. And it's not a pretty world. The world of Persia was an ugly place where the powerful got their way. You served at the decree of the empire, and if the empire said, you jump, you say how high, or you died. These were exiles. These were captives in a foreign land. Persia was the most powerful Uh, kingdom in the world at this time, although Greece obviously was making its headway. And so, why is Esther here? Why is Mordecai here? One reason, the disobedience of their ancestors. I shared this story that we were in Israel in the spring, and we were on a rooftop overlooking Jerusalem, and we were hearing the prayer calls from the the Muslim uh, shrine. And When we were looking at the area of Israel and we were just kind of contemplating where they were as a nation, how much atheism and agnosticism exists, how many different, you know, religious persuasions are there and so forth, uh, there was another sister in Christ and myself that kind of had the same feeling at the same time, that this, today's Jerusalem, if you go, you may be shocked to see how uh, multicultural and how much pluralism and religious pluralism is going on there, but it is a result of a people who would not believe God. 
And if you can kind of take that idea and place it in the book of Esther, Esther is in the Persian court because her ancestors wouldn't believe God. Now, a person like you or I, we are not responsible for God, before God for our parents' sins. The book of Ezekiel makes that clear. We don't pay the price. We're not judged for their sins. But we can certainly swim in the consequences of their sins. And so if they were rebellious toward God or didn't do things God's way, that reverberates out to us. How many of you have swam in those waters for a while? (laughs) Maybe all of us to some degree or another because of disobedience and dysfunction and so forth. So this was a crucial time for the king and he had been humbled and he was doing some deep thinking. He was thinking about what The queen had done what he had done to her, as I mentioned apparently in that order, and I think he had a tinge of regret because he made the decision in all likelihood while he was drunk. He deposed the queen. He listened to these so-called advisors while under the influence of alcohol. Now, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I would imagine that this room has some folks in it that made some pretty poor decisions under the influence of alcohol. And I would venture to say that maybe other substances as well. Because, you know, it just seems like that is the path for many, many people to indulge in those areas and then to reap the consequences of opening your life to be under the control of a substance like that. And so here's the king. And the king's attendants who served him said, Well, they saw the king. You could tell he was down. They said, here's an idea. Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Hey, king, you're down, man. We got to do something. Maybe they they even sensed that he was thinking about the queen and the decision that he made. So So somebody said, hey, let's go. We'll go get a bunch of young ladies from all over the kingdom and we'll bring them before the king. Now, at this point, it would have been really good If someone in the Persian court went to the king and said, hey king, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and make things right. The answer is not to go get another hundred concubines into your court because that's never going to satisfy. And that's the reason, the reason that you feel guilty right now is because of the decisions that you have made and the fact that you've lived the way that you've lived and you've abused people. If someone would have been in his ear, but that was risky. And it is risky to speak the truth to a person above you, especially a person who could kill you. (laughs) Right? It's hard for us to tell the truth to a friend who's going the wrong direction or a person who may be compromising, but maybe we See, their compromise is not as bad as other people's compromises. So for the sake of a friendship or political correctness or you name it, we don't tell them the truth. But Ephesians 4.15 says we are to speak the truth in love. See, do you really love someone if you won't tell them the truth? Or do you love yourself too much to do what's called the practice of non rockabotis I don't want to rock at a boat. That's the Latin or the Italian. So you live your life in, with this non rock a mentality. Whatever I do, I know rock at a boat. So 
you never rock the boat, but people around you are rocked. <laughs> because you, you don't speak the truth. Now, there's a way to speak the truth. We all need to speak the truth in humility and gentleness and respect because we know we could fall in a microsecond, too. I don't go to somebody and, you know, get the biggest Bible I have and, hey, dummy, hit him over the head with it. Wake up and fix your hair while you're at it. You know, that's not the proper approach. You're probably not going to get a lot of positive vibes from that. But if you pray, and if your intention is to save that person from further harm, if your intention is restoration of their life, I think in the end they'll appreciate it even if in the moment it's not comfortable. In fact, in, in the book of Daniel, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4.27, break away now from your sins by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. O king, may my advice be pleasing to you. Listen to this. Break away from your sins. Daniel said that to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man alive at that time. And you know, a year later, Nebuchadnezzar was humbled by God because he wouldn't listen. And he went out, and he started eating grass like an animal. But a year before that, Daniel had warned him, if you repent, you can spare yourself this stuff. It would be nice if not everybody has to learn things the hard way. <laughs> And so the advice that was being given to the king was that there needed to be a new queen and Vashti needed to go. And it was coming mainly from a man named Mamukin. It's one of my favorite new names in all the Bible. Mamukin, I just like saying it. What's up, Mamuk? Well, Mamukin, there's evidence that from the seven closest advisors to the king that the Persian kings would get their wives from those close-knit families. And so Mamukin may have had ulterior motives because he was thinking if Vashti was deposed if she was kicked out and one of his family members married the king guess what that would do for him do you know that when people give your give you advice please listen if they're not a person that is godly and has your best in mind it is hard for people not to give you advice with a tinge of a selfish motive so be careful who you get advice from because it's hard for people not to weave self into the advice that they even give to you. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever heard yourself giving advice, walked away from it and went, you know what, that was a lot about me. Hey, if you do this, I could personally benefit. We don't say that out loud. And so that's what was going on. If somebody tr truly cares about you, they will give you what Proverbs 15, 31 calls a life-giving reproof. He whose ear listens to a life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise, Proverbs 15, 31. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility, Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. It would have been nice if someone in that court had sat down with the king and just said, hey king, I don't think that this is the right thing to do. I don't think that you need another relationship right now. I think maybe you need to focus on God. But there was nobody there. Or maybe there was somebody there who knew the living God but was afraid to say something. Now God's going to be over all of this. And so we notice in verse 3, 
They say, let the king appoint uh, overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young person. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first... We understand that time can really get away from you. The day-to-day hustle can sometimes leave little time for the more important things in life, like Bible study. Remember that Pastor Michael's teachings can be heard at any time, day or night, on walkintruth.com. You don't have to worry that you have to get out of the car right now, because today's teaching is already online, ready for you to listen when it's most convenient for you. Visit walkintruth.com today to hear all the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Do you know that when people give you, give you advice, please listen. If they're not a person that is godly and has your best in mind, it is hard for people not to give you advice with a tinge of a selfish motive. So be careful who you get advice from. Because it's hard for people not to weave self into the advice that they even give to you. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever heard yourself giving advice, walked away from it and went, you know what, that was a lot about me. Hey, if you do this, I could personally benefit. We don't say that out loud. And so that's what was going on. If somebody truly cares about you, they will give you what Proverbs 15, 31 calls a life-giving reproof. He whose ear listens to a life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise, Proverbs 15, 31. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility, Proverbs 15, 31 through 33. It would have been nice if someone in that court had sat down with the king and just said, hey king, I don't think that this is the right thing to do. I don't think that you need another relationship right now. I think maybe you need to focus on God. But there was nobody there. Or maybe there was somebody there who knew the living God but was afraid to say something. Now God's going to be over all of this. And so we notice in verse 3, they say, Let the king appoint uh, overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to Susa the capital, to the harem, into the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women and let their cosmetics be given them. The attendants proposed a plan for the decree to go out, all 127 provinces, all these young virgins, unmarried young ladies, eligible young ladies, were to be brought to the capital of the empire for the king. And he already had a large harem. There's a later king, Xerxes II, that the extra-biblical records tell us that he had 360 concubines. 360 women in a harem just waiting for him to call upon them. Let me see, quick calculation. If you take a Jewish year, 360 days, that's a different woman every night. And then the story says that once he had them, and as one writer put it, deflowered them, he would replace them all with new virgins. So that one man's sensual uh, desires ruined hundreds and hundreds of lives. I was reading another author who said, just so that you understand the fullness of this, 
Herodotus also reports that 500 young men, or young boys, were gathered each year and castrated to serve as eunuchs in the Persian court. Let me say that one more time. 500 young boys per year castrated and put into the service of this king. And for this one man? For what? Because everybody's got to be at his beck and call? That's what it was about. You served the empire. And so how many people who had dreams about a family and, you know, a fairy tale wedding and, 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 you know, generations to come from that had their lives ruined by this one man who had power and authority? And how many people in our culture go down the path of the Persian Empire and buy into the lie that it's all about one night stands and hookups and swiping right on this person's picture so you can go this and you don't have to have any entanglements or attachments to that person. You can just have a one night stand with them. No, I got news for you. Every person that you're with intimately will be written on your soul because that's the way God designed it. God designed that intimacy would be much more than a physical act, but that it would be something spiritual, and even some people might say mystical. God designed it so that two would become one in that intimate act, and they would find beauty and depth of relationship. But when this kind of scene happens in the Persian court and all it is about is a person's pleasure and just using and abusing people, well, it churns out a bunch of empty souls walking around who are dead even while they live. She who gives herself to wanton pleasure, 1 Timothy 5 says, is dead while she lives. Can I put it this way? She's dead on her feet. You can look into people's eyes today and see it. Hopelessness and despair because all the avenues by which they have been instructed to pursue all the friends that were saying, oh yeah, this is the way to go. This is the way to do it. Produce nothing. Nothing for the soul. In fact, every time you do this, your soul pays the price. And Jesus said, what would a person give in exchange for their soul? Apparently a whole lot. Now they gave these women cosmetics. I have absolutely no comment on that. <laughs> but actually, the, the language means this was like a beauty regiment, and it was a beauty treatment that they did. Now, imagine, these are the most beautiful women in the kingdom, and they give them a year of a beauty treatment before they can even see the king. Now, I know you ladies take a little longer than guys to get ready in the morning, Right? Now, this could open up a whole can of worms right now. We might need to schedule some extra counseling. Pastor Chris, be ready, because I'm going to talk about this. It's just a mystery. We'll just leave it in the mystery category. Right? But, but what's with this year? What are you talking about, a year? Well, this is what it says. It says, let the young lady who pleases the king be, uh, be queen in place of Vashti. Let the, and the matter please the king, and he did accordingly. So kind of let it be written, let it be done. Later we'll see that they did a year of this beauty regiment. I mean, who does this guy think he is? Women have to prepare for a year? Just to be with him for a night? Well, that's kind of what it was. 
What kind of drama do you think was in the palace among these ladies? Do you think that this was the Persian version of The Bachelor? Huh? He doesn't like me! He liked me before! And now he doesn't like me! Right? And... And some of you are laughing because you, wa- you record it and you watch it with your friends and you eat popcorn while you do. And there's a girl over here and the kids are over here and, and it's a disaster. But it's entertaining. And so all these women brought into this situation. King says, He's been thinking about what he did, and he says, yeah, this is a great idea. Yeah, let, let's do it. Now, the camera shifts in the narrative. Now, there was a Jew. He's everything opposite of King Ahasuerus. There was a Jew in Susa, the capital, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Now, the Kish here is not Saul's father because Saul's father would have lived 1100 B.C. That would have been 600 plus years before this time. But this this particular line connects to the deportation under Nebuchadnezzar. But what it does tell us is that Mordecai's connection is to the tribe of Benjamin. And he has a very, he is very Jewish. That's what we need to see. The narrator is telling us. Uh, he is a Jewish man, but he has a, uh, the Mordecai or Mordecai is a Hebraized form of a Babylonian name called Marduka. And so he has a Persian or Babylonian name. The name means little man or man of Marduk or even worshiper of Mars. Some of you may be saying, why does... This Jewish hero in the story have a Babylonian name after a Babylonian god because when you were exiled into a foreign land as a slave, what did they try to do? They tried to assimilate you. And one of the first things they would do is give you a new name. If, for example, if your name was Daniel and your name means God is my judge, the true God is my judge, they renamed Daniel to Belteshazzar. And you had Daniel's friends. You had Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they got new names. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All after gods that were in Babylon. False gods. Now, did did Daniel and his three friends worship the true God? Yeah, that's what we learn in the book of Daniel. But they had Babylonian names because they were trying to assimilate them into the empire. And that's what was happening with this man. He believed in the true God, but he was given a name that reflected this culture. The only time that Marduk is ever mentioned in Scripture is by Jeremiah. This is what it says. Jeremiah 50, verse 2. Declare and proclaim among the nations. Proclaim it and lift up a standard. Do not conceal it, but say, Babylon has been captured. Bel has been put to shame. Marduk has been shattered. Her images have been put to shame. Her idols have been shattered. So God talks about Marduk and uh, the name of this famous Bible hero is after this false god. And so we see his line there. He's from Benjamite stock from the tribe of Benjamin and so forth. 
Now, he had been taken into exile from Jerusalem. Uh, this is talking about his family members now, with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah. Another name for him is Jehoiachin. You can write down 2 Kings 24, 14, and 15. But when the uh, king of Babylon took the captives, he took the king of Judah, the one over the area of Jerusalem, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had them exiled. So basically, you have a kind of a great-grandfather here to the person we're talking about, Mordecai, to tell us the backstory of how he ended up in the Persian court. Everybody with me? He's Jewish, but he ended up here because his family members were taken by Nebuchadnezzar a hundred plus years before and put into this situation. However, there was a decree by Cyrus in 539, 538 BC, so about 60 years before this, that allowed the Jews to do what? Go back to their homeland and rebuild. And the families that were still in Persia were families that decided to not go back, but to stay. Why? Well, we can ask the why question all day long, but we're not really sure why they didn't go back. We're going to find out more as we get into the book of Esther, and there'll be more on this teaching tomorrow. Well, remember, we are giving this series as a special thank you gift to our listening family. When you give a $30 or more donation, we'll make sure we get the entire series of the book of Esther into your hands. We really appreciate your support, your prayers, and your letters. So if the program has been a blessing to you, you can reach out to us and contact us at walkintruth.com. Your correspondence does mean a lot to our team. Well, it's the middle of the week, and I encourage you to get into Bible study with a group. God bless you, and we'll talk to you tomorrow on Walk in Truth. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.